0: Alright, I so rudely interrupted uh, worship earlier and didn't introduce myself. That was not kind, but I'm Chip Fried, the lead teaching pastor here. And I don't know, something's so good to be in the house of the Lord at this time right now. Um, we want to greet, uh, we have a sorority worshiping with us online today, Gamma Delta Zeta. I hope I said that right. I'm tired of Greek words, um, but we want, we want to welcome you. We're so glad you're with us. God bless you. Um, Somebody said if we get to Omega, we're all dead. So uh, thank God Omicron is kind of passing out of our uh, jurisdiction right now. And I I just want to say all you worshiping online, I know we got folks in Mexico and all over the country. But you know, if you were in the habit of worshiping with us in person, I want to see you in March and April. I just had to go hug some people and dap up some people. Um, It's wonderful to have this platform. And we can worship at all times. And you should do that. If you're not feeling well, if you don't feel like getting out of bed, if you'd like to You know, just one of those days. Be with us online. But if you can, get out and get here. Because we need to see you. We need to hug you. We need to uh, uh, be in community together. So we're so grateful for that. I was trying to get that dance Dre was doing. You know, Earth, Wind, and Fire is playing at the halftime show today, man. Come on. If you don't know Earth, Wind, and Fire, man, you got problems. Uh, You can't get into heaven if you don't listen to Earth, Wind, and Fire. I'm just telling you that. Uh, Little ahead of the Beatles for me. It's just me. Um, you know, but I'm trying to get that on. We used to have a sound tech back there that would play like 70s and 80s stuff. And I'd start doing this. And my wife said, if you do the running man again, I am going to divorce you. So don't tell her I just started. She's not in here yet. She's still down the hall. But I, I'm just feeling uh, feeling a little spry today. I don't know what it is. So we may be in trouble. You may uh, hope that the All-Star Game was at noon instead of 8. Because I got time. <laughs> But it's good. We're in this series about Map My Run. We're looking as, you know, we've gone through two years of disruption. How are we getting back in the swing of things in our our spiritual life, right? We've, We've had to persevere. That's what Steve preached about last week. And he ruined it because he preached on the scripture I was going to preach on today when I was over South Euclid. So I'm going to preach on it again next week. But I thought we'd take a break. Don't hear the same scripture scripture two weeks in a row. And it immersed me in this John 15. It immersed me in this God who won't leave us the way he found us. He accepts us as we are. Wherever you are right now, you you can't do anything to make God love you more. And let me tell you this, this is profound, and some preachers would crucify me for this. You can't do anything to make God love you less. He loves you just as you are. But this God that we have won't be content to leave us there. A few years ago, Pastor Terry, who's way more spiritually mature than I am, she said to me, I'm tired of this growing thing. Because growth hurts. Anybody know that? Right? It hurts. You know, uh, even my my spiritual mentor, they said, think about the birth of a child. It involves what? The spilling of blood. We're continually being grown up, each and every one of us, to be more like Christ. And that's why this whole theme of transformation is so important. We need information. That was one of my points a couple weeks ago. But finally, that's not what saves us. It's not information. It's transformation. It's being, you know, made more into the likeness of Christ. And that's where we're at. So I, this, this scripture that Nate read for us today just jumped home at me for some reason. Just got into me. The vine, the branches, the gardener. I don't want you to forget those three movements in this. This is what's called an I am saying of Jesus. You know, when Moses showed up at the burning bush and God called him to go to Pharaoh and Moses had committed murder and he was inadequate. And if you read that, Moses gave God more excuses than anybody in history. When God called me into ministry, I got news for you. My wife will tell you. I didn't say, oh yes, Lord, thank you. I will go. I was like, oh God, please send somebody else. <laughs> you know, and then Moses, he did all that bartering with God. And at the end of it, he said, just kill me now. Like, <laughs> like. but one of the things he said, he said, if I'm supposed to go to Pharaoh, if I'm supposed to go to a president, if I'm supposed to go to the Russian-Ukraine border today and declare peace and goodness and life, then I need, to, I need your... I need your Your calling card. I need to know who you are. I need to go in the name of something. Because in that day and age, right, you had to name your God. So Egypt had Ra and Canaan had Baal and the Greeks had Zeus and Aphrodite. And he said, who who am I supposed to say I'm going? And God said, tell him I am sent you. I love that. Like, I'm not going to be named by you. Yeah, who did that? I love that. He said, tell them I am. Tell them the author of life itself. Tell them the creator of time. Tell them the one who put the stars in the heavens. Just tell them that I am sent you. And when Jesus shows up, God's meals on wheels, God in the flesh, God with us, to show us that God has a face and that God is so intricately involved in our lives, Jesus began to say some I am statements. Somebody said to me, where does Jesus say he's God in the Bible? I said, about every time he opened his mouth, right? Do you, you, what did Jesus say? I am the gate, the door through which you come through. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am bread from heaven come down to earth. I am the resurrection and the life. I am living water to which will give you sustenance. And I love in one place, the religious leaders got into, you know, a little battle with Jesus and they started pressing him on some things. And they said, well, we're children of Abraham, right? We're, like, we're religious. And he said, before Abraham was, I am. He's the great I am. That's where transformation comes from. Now, a couple weeks ago, I gave you some steps. We looked at the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment. We looked at Jairus and his wife whose daughter had died. And I said, look, there's some positions we need to get in. Desperation, information, direction, substitution. You remember that sermon, eight points? You all lived through it. Right? And then I said, advanced lessons, Jesus showing us. You know, how his priorities and his love, he will stop the presses to minister to one person in need. It doesn't matter that Jairus was the head of the temple police and he was the pope and all this stuff. And, you know, Jesus is going to arrest religion to go to be in relationship with one person who needs him. I I, I hate to pick on religion, but but did you... (laughs) Did you see this past week? Like, there was a, 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 a pastor like me who had baptized a lot of people for 16 years. And he, he used what was in the religious view of the wrong word. He said, we instead of I. And the denomination nullified all the baptisms. Like, thousands of them said, you got to get re-baptized. And I thought, my God, this is what we do when we think we're in charge. We need to surrender that stuff and get back at the feet of the Master who will stop the presses, who will, who will interrupt communion, who will break every Methodist doctrine just to minister to one person in need. And this God who does that and shows us that He, he is time itself. We said that Alpha and Omega. He wants what? A touch we talked about with Jarius's daughter sitting where a mother would sit, saying what a mother would say giving the touch that a mother would give. Like, those are things I, I gave you about transformation, right? But here's the deal. It's not what we do, finally. It's what God, the author, the I am, the power source that gives us the ability to be transformed. God is the transformer, not us. Too many th- times I think we think, you know, it's up to us to do it. If you come into And I'm going to talk about this in a little bit. But if you come into Christianity, sometimes it's like, well, what do I need to do, right? Go to Bible study, go to worship, serve people, all this. And Jesus is saying, wait a minute. It's not what you do. It's what I did. I am the vine. That's what we want to talk about today. This is the I am statement. I am the true vine. In other words, you are attaching yourself to a lot of things for life. That at the end of the day, it might give you a couple months, but it's not gonna finally sustain you. I am the true vine, you are the branches. He puts us in our place. Do you know that? I used to say, everybody says, Oh, Jesus is a shepherd and I'm the sheep. And that's so comforting. Um, It was not a compliment. Sheep are dumb. Like they wander off in all the wrong directions, right? When Jesus Jesus was saying, you're a branch, you're a sheep, you are not the shepherd, you're not the vine, right? He is showing us, he is the author of transformation. He's the vine. What is the vine? What is the the root? It goes down into the earth, right? Roots deep into the earth, It, it gets the water out of the soil, it gets the nutrients out of the soil, and it puts it into the branch, the branch cannot survive apart from the vine. And that's why Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Yeah, nothing. He didn't say, well, you can't jump a 43-inch vertical jump chip, which I was a little jealous about last night watching the dunk contest. I mean, like, it's not you can't be, you know, get an a. You can't do anything in your transformation, in your spiritual life, apart from the root, Right? You can't earn your way in. You can't achieve your way in. You have to be grafted in to the vine, to the source of life. Right? And, that, and that's what, what this is. When Jesus says he's the vine, he is saying basically, I'm the one that's bringing the power of new life and transformation into you. I'm the one doing that into you. And I love what Peter said. Now, Peter, you know, it took a while to get him right. But in 2 Peter, he said this. He wrote in this words, he said, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us very great and precious promises. What? So that, so that what? Through them, we may participate in the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption of the world, we need to be grafted in to the vine. I've, I've been praying that this week. I mean, this, this scripture interrupted me. I wasn't prepared to preach on this week. I, I prepare my messages three, four weeks out. And my wife knows I've been sweating all week because I'm like, Steve stole my scripture. Dagon it. I was you know, mad. And, and God took me here. And, and he, all week I've been praying this Jesus, you're the vine, I'm a branch. Pulsate me, interpenetrate me with the power of your new life and peace and love. Bring that into me, right? Apart from you, I can do nothing. That image is so powerful that that image of the vine, it's bigger than an employer, an employee. It's bigger than a general and a soldier. It's actually bigger than a parent and a child. Jesus is saying, you are so dependent on me. Your, your spiritual growth, your transformation needs to be so rooted in me. It will never get the nourishment it needs. It will never get the DNA it needs. It will never get the nutrients from the soil. The branch doesn't go into the soil. The stem does. The vine does. The branch depends on that. See, but we're so what my dad would call bass ackwards. <laughs> I'm probably gonna get fired for that one, but I I did say my dad said, not me. So I'm, but we're we're so that way. We at Branches try to think we're the vine. And we treat Jesus like he's a supplement. Right? Like, he's an additive. Jesus, come into my life and fulfill all my dreams. I'll never forget, Terry and I, we're going to go back to Exponential Conference this year. um, where They asked us to come speak again in March. And it's this huge conference. I was down there a few years ago before the world stopped. And there was uh, Oscar Minyu, who's a great pastor from Kenya. And he looked out at 5,000 people at that conference. And he said, I got to tell you something. God is not interested in helping you achieve the plans for your life. I mean, like the air got sucked out of that room. But he said, God is very interested in helping you with His plans for your life. That's divine. We're the branch, right? we're, We're so dependent on Him to bring us new life and transformation. And the second thing is, this tells us that our transformation with Jesus, our growth spiritually is organic. It's not mechanical. See, too many of us try to do mechanical growth. Well, if I do these seven things, then I'll have a healthy marriage. If I do these six things, then I'll have financial holdings. If I do these five, those, those sell well on the internet, but they have nothing to do with the gospel. The gospel doesn't say it's about what you do. And that's the problem with Christianity. People come into Christianity and think, well, I need to do this. I need to serve people. I need to be good. Let me tell you, that will last about two, three years. And there will be no joy in your life. You won't be less bitter than you were before. This is organic growth. We only grow as we're, as we're rooted in the vine, as Jesus is pouring his lifeblood into us. And that's why he says, apart from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. I got to thinking about that. You know, the snow is melting in Cleveland. Somebody say, hallelujah. I was very weak. Um, Somebody said we're we're poor guests, right? The whole all-star world's in, and and we just, you know, snowed on everything. But it's starting to snow, uh, or starting to melt, and I noticed my Christmas tree. Like, it is outside my garage. Uh, before I could take it to the yard, we, we celebrated Dia de los Tres Reyes, so we couldn't take our Christmas stuff down until January 10th. And I think it's been four feet of snow since then to now. And it's starting to melt, and I see my poor Christmas tree that's outside by my garage. Now, I'm a purist. I got to tell you, I'm a traditionalist. I know that surprises you. My mom was born on Christmas Day. Terry, for 34 years of marriage, has wanted to get an artificial tree. That is blasphemy to me. That's blasphemy. No, you have to have a natural tree. So every year... We go get a Frasier fir. We get from the same place. They trim the little trunk. Have you ever done Anybody do this with me? Trim the little trunk. You take it home. You put it in the water. You add all these supplements, right, chemicals to keep it fresh. You put your lights on. You put your uh, ornaments on. And you know what? When I look at that Christmas tree, if you go to my Facebook or Instagram, you'll see I always post my Christmas tree. Look how beautiful it is. And I look at that thing and I said, it looks so much better than it would out in the forest somewhere. But four weeks later, what happens to that tree? You should see it outside my garage. It is dead. It's not sleeping. It's dead. Right? Why? It's cut off from the vine. Right, we have too many Christmas tree Christians in the world right now. We're putting lights on. We're putting ornaments on. We're trying to be flashy. And I'm going to tell you that kind of journey with God does not last. It's not about well, I'm following all the rules. I'm doing all. No, I'm connected to the vine. I am connected to the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. Greater is He who is in me than the one who is in the world. May God who has begun a good work in me perform it not my performance God's work in me I read, a. a, Pastor Terry sent me a guy named uh, Ken um, Fuson. He died just this past January. Um, He was a a journalist, very well-known journalist in the country, worked for the Des Moines Register in Iowa. And uh, he wrote his own obituary before he died. And I want to read it to you. This is what Ken wrote. He said, Ken Fuson, born June 23rd, 1956, died January 3, 2022, in a Nebraska medical center of liver cirrhosis, and is stunned to learn that the world may somehow go on without him. This is his obituary. He said, um, Ken attended the University of Missouri Columbia's famous School of Journalism. When I say attended, it's a clever way of saying almost graduated but didn't. Facing a choice between covering a story for a newspaper or taking his final exams, Ken went for the story. He never claimed to be smart, he was just committed. In 1981, Ken Ken landed his dream job working as a reporter for the Des Moines Registrar. Ken won several national feature writing awards. No, he didn't win a Pulitzer Prize, but he's dead now, so give him a break. I love that. In 2011, Ken accepted a job in the marketing department at Simpson College, where he remained until 2018. He was diagnosed with liver disease at the beginning of 2019, which is pretty ironic, given how little he drank. He is survived by his sons, who all brought Ken unsurpassed joy. He hopes they will forgive him for not making that point more often. He loved his boys and was and is extraordinarily proud to be their father. Ken had many character flaws. If he owes you any money, he's sorry. (laughs) Sincerely. He prided himself on letting other drivers cut in line. For most of his life, Ken suffered from a compulsive gambling addiction that nearly destroyed him. But his church friends never gave up on him. Ken last placed a bet... On September 5th, 2009, so 13 years before he died, he died clean. He hopes that anyone who needs help will seek it. Miracles abound. Ken's pastor says God can work miracles for you and through you. Skepticism may be cool, and for too many years Ken embraced it, but it was his faith in Jesus Christ that transformed his life. That was the one thing he never regretted. It changed everything. God is good. Embrace every moment, even the bad ones. See you in heaven. And Ken promises to let you cut in line. See, that obituary written by that brother is somebody that understands Jesus is the vine. I'm the branch. Apart from him, I can do nothing. Have you learned that? Are you learning that right now? I, I know it's going to take a sledgehammer to your pride. It's going to break through every American and Western individualistic idea. Jesus has got to get down to the worldview of your life and shatter it and say to you, You're not the vine, you're a branch. Right, So we're the branches. We're the branches. That's us, folks. Okay? We're the branches. And Jesus says there's two things as the branches we can do to receive and and nourish the nutrients that the vine is giving us. Two things. He says basically abide, remain. That's the verb. Abide. Hang in there. What did Steve talk about last week? Persevere. My God, we're just such a get-it-quick society. If I don't get it quick, I've had people come through the church, they love the church, come through Garfield and say, oh, this is amazing. And then six months later said, yeah, but it didn't work. Well, what didn't work? <laughs> like, you know, oh, I, I need it quick. I need it now. Somebody said, somebody said to me one time, they came into church, said, "You know, I gave it three months, but I didn't find a relationship. I'm like, you know, come on, relationship with what? You want to, you know, spouse. I'm like, how about a relationship with a vine? How about being grafted into this? See, we need to remain. We need to abide. And Jesus says two things. Abide in my words. Abide in my love. Those are the two bullet points. Abide in my words. That's in the scripture if you read it. Abide in my love. What does it mean to abide in God's words? It's letting those words penetrate you. I said, it's more important than reading the Bible to let the Bible read you. I was with a sister uh, in our church um, la- last year that the, bus- the business they worked for, she worked there like 18, 19 years, was going out of business. And she said, one day Chip, I was sitting in the lunchroom and all the employees, there were like fifty or sixty of us, and and everybody was bellyaching, like, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna survive? You know, we're gonna lose our jobs, we're gonna lose our you know, all these things. And she said, All of a sudden something you preached about and the praise team sang about, about look at the lilies of the valley. See with their splendor, look at the birds of the air. They don't miss any meals. Are you not more important to God than lilies and sparrows? And she said, all of a sudden the peace came over me. And I knew I was going to be okay, whatever, whatever happened. And she's doing great right now. You know, but that's, she wasn't just reading the scriptures. She was abiding. She was remaining in God's words. When you feel you've blown it and you've you've screwed up and you're never going to be forgiven, can you abide in the words that God speaks? You are my beloved child. With you, I'm well pleased. You don't disappoint me. That's abiding in God's words. Latch on to that. And then abide in God's love. Abide in God's love for you. If my love remains in you, You will love God and you will love others. You will learn to love the way I love. You will learn to love people, right? Um, I read an article recently about, it said that um, the author's, author's name was Steve Brown. And he was writing that, have you ever noticed people that abide together start to look like each other? Like people who are married, my wife and I for 30 years, she's getting whiter, I'm getting darker. No, it's a joke. But you notice we start to look more like each other? You ever notice that? Really, you do. You take a picture of our family, you know, and just look. And I remember that, you guys know, my daughter and I have been very upfront with this. When Terry and I fell in love, Tiana was five years old. I had the opportunity to become her dad. When we got married, she was eight years old. That's why I tell Tiana she's my favorite child because she's the only one I chose. <laughs> but we we're sure we're i mean and i remember we went into a church when she was five and our family we were coming back to faith and we were there for three years before we got married and there were some young adults in that church they, they were 40 something we were 20 something and they were looking they said you know what you and tiana are just looking more like each other every day go online look at tiana and i Not only do we look alike, we act alike. My wife will tell you that. She has my personality. All the pimples, warts, and flaws too, which I'm trying to get out of her. But we're like each other. Why? Because we've abided together. And when you abide together in love... You begin to take at each other's features do you know if you will abide with Jesus you'll start to look more like him you'll start to love more like him you'll start to forgive more like him you'll start to serve more like him that's why Jesus said abide in my love my God almighty what a different world we would have today if people would just abide in the love of God as demonstrated for us in Christ Jesus our Lord and sometimes the worst people doing it are the Christmas tree Christians. And I've been there. I'm right. Look at my lights. Look at my ornaments. You're wrong. And you know what? You're cut off from the vine. Abide. This is what we do abide in God's words, abide in God's love. And here's the last thing I'll leave you with this. Trust that the gardeners at work, trust that. Right, So Jesus said, I'm the vine. I'm bringing the power of the universe, the same power that made the stars. I'm bringing that into your life. This is available for you to be transformed. Uh, Except you're a branch. Right? You cannot get it apart from me. But understand, my father's the gardener. He's the vine dresser. And he does two things. Here's the bullet points. He removes the dead branches. And this is the one I hate. He prunes the live ones. Don't you wish when you've kind of grown a little bit, God would leave you alone, right? You know, God doesn't do that. He removes dead branches. I don't know if you have trees in your yard like Terry and I do. We've got a lot of trees. The branches all look like they're connected to the tree, but you know, you go up and some of them, you just pull out, they're dead. You just need to remove them. What dead things does God need to remove in your life? What grudge have you been carrying for too long? What bitterness are you harboring? What hopelessness? Would you say to the gardener, God, if there's anything dead in me, will you remove it? That's why I love the prayer at the end of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked thing within me. Do you see what he's saying? Get the dead stuff out of me and lead me in the way everlasting. Friends, online here in this place... Think about it. What is some dead stuff that God is asking you to let go of? He's trying to remove it and you're holding on to it. It's a dead branch. Let it go. And then the other thing is understand that even the live stuff, even the places we're trying to grow and move, God's always going to prune it to bring new stuff. I hate that. Terry and I like to go up. I like Chautauqua sometimes. I, I grew up going up there, and it's only a few hours away. We spent our honeymoon there. We like to go up there. And, you know, if you come up on Lake Erie up there, do you ever know, on uh, the Ohio side and also across the pond, the Canadian side, there's all these wineries, there's vineyards, right? And we love to go on the wine tours. We, we sample a little bit. We just don't swallow. And, um, you know, they're, they're up there, and all, you got all these vineyards, and they're beautiful. And we go there and we've learned stuff, right? We want one time to all these vineyards and it was pruning season. And I was horrified. I mean, these vineyards are usually so beautiful. They, they were bleeding all over the place. There were branches cut down and they were laying around. I looked at these branches. They weren't dead. They had nice leaves on them. Some of them had little spruces of grapes. And, and to my untrained eye, I was going up to one of the, the people that was doing it. I said, what are you doing? I said, we're pruning. We're pruning so that more life and long life. What did Jesus say? I want you to have fruit. Fruit that lasts. Not fruit that works for the weekend. Fruit that goes on for your whole life. And we have to trust that God is cutting some things away in our lives. Sometimes we, we have to give up things you know, that we, we thought we couldn't live without. And we look back on our life 10 years later and we see we are in the hands of a master gardener. Who is cutting and trimming, and he's not done with us. You know, Jesus. I said earlier accepts us the way we are. He just doesn't want to leave us that way. He's perfecting us. He's crafting us. Let me let me kind of clone with, close with this. I'm a I'm a history buff. Some of you guys know that, and I, I came across something preparing for this sermon I never heard of. Michelangelo, great a sculptor, great artist. I didn't know that Michelangelo, one of his most famous pieces, it's not like David or the you know, Mary the Mother Mary with Jesus. It's not known as well. It's in Florence, Italy, and it's a du- Duomo Museum. He carved a statue that he ultimately wanted on his grave, right? But he never felt he perfected it, so it didn't end up on his grave and ended up in the museum. It's called the Deposition. Now, I know that word's been in the press lately. But, you know, what is a deposition? It's where we have to go and give account for our life. That's a picture of it. And it's Nicodemus holding the body of Jesus off the cross. And every historical scholar would say, Michelangelo carved his own face into the face of Nicodemus who was Nicodemus? Nicodemus was the most religious person the most moral person he was the kindest person he gave all his money to the poor he did all the right things and he went to Jesus at night because he didn't want to know his friends were going from the click in the club and he went to Jesus and he started to, oh Jesus you know I'm a religious person and Jesus just cut him off said Nicodemus you need to be born again you need to start over You need to get attached to the vine and understand you're just a branch. And you can't bear fruit on your own. It only comes from the vine. And at the end of his life, this is Michelangelo created this, himself as Nicodemus holding Christ. And if you go in that museum, I googled it and I looked at it. So I'm not making this up. I haven't been there. Across from it was a poem that Michelangelo wrote about this statue. And in the poem he said that all his life he was trying to you know, measure up, to be the best artist, to be the best sculptor. And he was trying to achieve, and he said this, My art became my idol and my king. But he wrote, My only hope at this point is the divine love which embraces us and which opened its arms to us on the cross that's Michelangelo and at the end of his life greatest one of the greatest artists we ever know What was being pruned it was being some things cut off Michelangelo your art will not save you the Sistine Chapel will not save you it's only the divine grace of God and all of a sudden Michelangelo said I'm Nicodemus coming to Jesus coming to the great gardener to be born again that's what we need to do, friends. Go before Him. Pray like I've been praying this week. It's just been a transforming prayer in my life. Just for a week, I've been doing it. I'm going to bed at night and I'm saying, Jesus, you're the vine. I'm a